everyone. Welcome to Poetry Says. I'm Alice. This is a chat I got to have a couple of weeks ago with Dave Drayton, who is a Sydney poet. And Dave has recently published a book through the wonderful Rabbit Poet series called Poems, but the O and the E are in brackets. So basically it's Poems PMs. And the interesting thing about this book is that it has an incredibly difficult constraint underpinning it. Dave's written a poem about every single Australian Prime Minister up until now, and he's done that using only the letters of those Prime Minister's names. So just a minor task that Dave set himself there with that book, and I was so happy when he came down to Melbourne to read for us at Sporting Poets, and what I didn't know was that when he read his poem about Harold Holt, he was going to don a snorkel and read it through the snorkel. And you can hear that recording. Um, I'll link to it in the show notes as well. I was so happy when that happened because in my book, anyone who's willing to get up there at a poetry reading, which can be, you know, pretty earnest, anyone who can get up there and have a bit of fun is just, yeah, so, so great. And, and that was very exciting to see. So I start off here by asking Dave about that constraint and the role of constraint in his work and what it's like to have to stick with a constraint like that, even when it starts to feel really difficult. And we also get into the question of barriers that might seem productive, but are actually just preventing you from making good work. Dave also talks a bit about getting over his initial aversion to poetry and He's also a musician, so we talk about the relationship between lyrics and poetry, which I touched on a bit with Melinda Bufton in my last interview. Talking about that performance at Sporting Poets also leads us to talk about whether good performance matters. Is it okay to just be a page poet who creates solely for the page? And then we get into the really tricky area of networking in the poetry community and is it all just about who you know and not so much about the quality of the work and towards the end we have a chat about Dave's new project which has a different and very interesting constraint underpinning it as well and we also talk about a few of the poets that Dave's seen perform who've really inspired him and he mentions Amelia which is Amelia Dale and AJ which is AJ Carruthers. So if you'd like to know more about those poets as well, then I'll link to their work in my show notes. So here we go, episode 61. Enjoy. So Dave, what does the what are the last two months of the year look like for you, poetry-wise, music-wise? Work-wise? Um, sadly and happily, very busy with work. Uh, I work kind of teaching as a casual academic, so uh, when work comes, you have to say, you know, you have to say yes, but it also means um, some juggling to try and fit in other projects when it does come in because yeah. time disappears. Um, so I'm, I'm teaching a bit uh small tour coming up for a band i'm uh i do with a friend of mine which is like a banjo duo um called pinch hitter and we're playing a couple of shows with an act from the uk with a uh a eye-catching name which i always feel uncomfortable saying uh which is crywank <laughs> that's great um so very excited, but also always feel very awkward about uh, telling people that I'm excited for that reason. <laughs> Fair enough. Um, and very, very little poetry, at least publicly, um, which is nice because it, you know, gives some time to try and work on some new things that I'm finding my way through at the moment. Oh, I'm excited to ask you about that. But... First of all, I want to know how many bands are you currently in? Uh, currently in three bands. Right. I thought it would be more than one. That's amazing. And so you're, you're touring with 
the banjo duo. Yep. Do you also have to do regular practices with the other two? Um, one of them has been kind of dormant for about four years oh, okay. uh, because the other two, the other two guys in the band, um, are less silly and got nice jobs and children and uh, houses. But we recently kind of got back together, though our whole our whole shtick has been absolute bare minimum rehearsal. So even though we're back together, we're continuing with that. Uh, so it's not too much of an obligation. Uh, the other one is about uh, every every fortnight or so we get together. I love that bare minimum rehearsal. That sounds great. That sounds it, really good. It was uh, it was a really when when we were busier and i say that with kind of you know, air, air quotations yeah um it, it was amazing in terms of i think it's the only band i've been in where we probably played more shows than we had rehearsals <laughs> um it was very much rehearsals were very much just a means to an end so if we had a show we might do one but otherwise yeah it didn't happen it's, it's nice and relaxed yeah that sounds nice and low-key for sure um yeah but i wanted to ask that i wanted to ask how many bands you're in i'm always super interested in other people's time commitments and the way that they make poetry work within that and um i've got your i've got a couple of your books here i've got pms and i've got high two rograms which my brain looks at and goes that says haiku programs but it doesn't say that <laughs> Um, and I think the, the, the uh, common element in those two books is there's obviously some kind of constraint at work. In fact, there's probably more than one kind of constraint at work in both of them. And I was wondering if you find constraint something that helps you write quicker or is it just kind of the way that your mind works, it just the way that it looks at language and goes, oh, I'm seeing that as a set of patterns rather than just sitting down and writing whatever comes to mind? Hmm. Um, firstly, as a side note, I really like the concept of haiku programs. Oh, so that's not what it is? <laughs> no, no, but, but it, well, it, it kind of is, but that's not the portmanteau I was... Um, so, well, for that, for I guess maybe I'll try and answer all of that in so th that is a kind of like meant to be a portmanteau of um haiku which you've picked up and um the uh heterogram which is a kind of form of poetry that Georges Perec did ah, or at the time, no, it's all one word heterograms yeah, so it's kind of combining heterogram and haiku is the idea. So they're the two constraints um, that were that were in play for that work, for instance. Um, but it does, I guess the idea was kind of like it would be a program for maybe writing haikus. So I really like that. Um, uh, what would it be? appropriation of the yeah i've kind of taken the, the portmanteau portman and dismantled it broken it in half but it's still yeah and it still works though which is nice um but in terms of i guess the rest of your question there i i think n not with a particular poem or project in mind it is very much that i um see uh patterns i think was the word you used mm. for kind of for letters or for words uh in things that i'm reading and i think it's not necessarily a um n not that that is my aim when i'm reading things i guess you know like i've got to find a pattern or whatever in this but it just seems to be uh how I end up reading, even if it's something that's not necessarily constrained or with those patterns, I think I just as a way of kind of making sense of things and as a way of finding a way into any texts, that's one of my maybe uh, ways of reading. Yeah. So going beyond that, it made sense to use the that kind of concept broadly as um, 
as as a starting point for my own poems and writing um i'm not sure if it makes it uh easier to write quicker but it definitely makes it it, in terms of this kind of you know finding time or like juggling time with that kind of thing it makes it easier at least i find um to know when you can put a stop to something i guess if you were just just writing um if you were just writing and kind of following a story or following a thread that you've laid down for yourself on a poem even uh absolutely at some point i think you would reach you know you'd go okay this is finished or closer to finished than when i started or whatever it might be but with the constraint there is i think a much clearer kind of um finish line in place in terms of you know if it's okay i can only use the letters in this pm's name when you write that poem whether or not it's maybe finished i can go have i only used these letters yes and so you can kind of give it a tick you know or tick the box off and in that way i think it makes it easier to undertake a project or a section of a project because there is a very clear um point at which you can go even if it's not the end at which you can go you know i've i've crossed that off the list and so it makes it easier to start whereas Mm. if i've kind of gone i'm not sure what it's going to look like at the end when i can give myself a break or when you could say that's enough for you know this this batch of work or this burst of effort it would be much more difficult to know when that is yeah exactly because you i mean how who knows how long it's going to take when you sit down to write your um, epic piece about the tree in the backyard. Yeah, exactly. It, it could it could take all day and it could... Also, I, I feel like when you've got a constraint like that, like in PMs where you're only using the letters from that prime minister's name, um, there's a sense of like right and wrong that you rarely get in writing a poem. I'm thinking as you're saying all this about something that a teacher of mine said last year, I was doing a revision workshop and she gave us a piece by, I think it was Paul Valerie, and he said, a poem is never completed, only abandoned. And I kind of, I was like, oh, is that true? Like, I think I can definitely put a lot of my poems in that pile, but then there are others that I don't know. It's kind of like there's, it's completed in the sense that there's nothing more I could do to make it better. But in your case, it's completed in the sense of you've exhausted every avenue, every combination of letters, every possible word that's worth putting in there, you've put in there. Yes. And I think you kind of, um, you touched on, I guess, the like, the exception to the rule there where you said every every word that's um, worth putting in there, you've put in there. Because in some instances, I don't... Uh, some of the PMs with, you know, very difficult names and few letters, it almost was the case that I have absolutely exhausted the kind of potential glossary because there are so few words that every single one that could be made has made it in. You know... Um, and in those instances, even more in terms of that right and wrong, I think you can go, yes, maybe not correct, but you, you know, you've achieved that task in some sense, but you, um, in where you have something where you go, okay, every, every word that I still want to use that I think fits, um, you've still got to make those decisions that aren't, you know, that clear black and white. There are still some kind of greys that you have to deal with, but you've reduced the size of them, if nothing else. Yeah, that's right. You've given yourself some boundaries to work within. Yeah, and you've kind of got a what feels like a more manageable load that you're trying to work with or explore. So even if you don't, I guess, even in the final product, if it's not exhausted, you've come closer to knowing what it is that you could exhaust because Mm. you've put those boundaries in. Yeah. Yeah. That makes perfect sense. 
I want to go back actually and ask you about, I, I don't usually ask this question, but I want to know how you came to poetry because I'm interested in this kind of dual practice that you've got going on as a musician and as a poet. And I'm sure that those two worlds kind of overlap, but I'm wondering which came first for you or if they kind of bubbled up at the same time in your life or... Um, music, music definitely came first. Um, and that was kind of from around 13 or 14, I decided I wanted to try and, you know, be in bands or write songs at least. Um, and have been doing that for, God, yeah, so 14 or 15 years since then. Um, and poetry... I guess I had an interest in, but there was also, you know, the aversion to poetry that comes with a high school poetry syllabus and the way that's approached and you kind of, you know, think poetry is not cool. Um, yeah. So it took me a little bit, uh, a little longer to warm to it and maybe acknowledge that it was something that I wanted to be trying to do or explore and then it took even longer on top of that to realize that just lyrics that i hadn't written music to weren't poems and then i had to kind of um approach poetry from scratch and not i mean there are there's definitely some kind of maybe transferable skills or concepts or something but that i couldn't just sidestep into it um and presume to be where I was in terms of my uh, writing music and stuff. Yeah, right. That's super interesting. I was I interviewed Melinda Bufton last week and she talked about a friend of hers saying, can you write some lyrics for me? And she kind of approached the problem from the opposite angle. She sort of thought, oh, yeah, I can do that because, you know, I'm a poet. I can totally write some lyrics. And was just very recently realising that, like you say, the skills aren't transferable. You can't just decide to write lyrics and take your poetry skills and apply them. Um, what would you say are the, if you had to articulate why it doesn't work, what would you say the reasons are? Like, why can't you just take a set of lyrics that you've written and say, here's my poem? I, th um, I, can, I can absolutely give you an answer for that but I, I will uh, also say it's um I don't uh and I'm not sure maybe if you could get a clear-cut answer more broadly but I can only really speak for myself in this <laughs> maybe because of my own shortcomings or predilections but um w w with a song I, I think and this is starting to shift now whether that's an influence of poetry on my own practice I'm not sure or other things as well but for me, uh, lyrics in a song are much more personal um, in that I write from, I write from, ex like from personal experience a lot more um, and I guess do less to maybe conceal or obscure that. And I feel it can come or I feel it's a uh, looser maybe as a result of that as well, or it kind of come, the, the process is a bit easier and more vaguely, it sounds horrible, but in that kind of like, you know, just you get struck by inspiration mm. kind of way, even though it's coming, it, but it will just be, you know, overthinking a situation or thinking about something. And then it's like, Oh, oh, there's a, all right, if I keep kind of picking at that for an hour or a day, whatever it'll take, it'll be there. Yeah. Um, but it feels easier because it's, I guess, more based on experience and because there is a sense that there's going to be music, whatever it might be and whatever the like, instrumentation it will be, but there will be music that will um, pick up the slack and kind of fill, fill the gaps a little bit and, you know, expand band on what's being said mm. so you, it doesn't all have to be there in the words in a sense yeah I, I totally got what you mean this is reminding me of 
uh, a panel I saw. I got to go to the Dodge Poetry Festival last year, which was insane and so, so great. And one of the panels I saw, there was a poet on there who was talking about this kind of lyrics versus poems. It's not really a dichotomy. I guess it is really a continuum, if we're going to be honest about it. But he was standing in front of the audience and the rest of the panel members saying, I am so much braver and I have so much more game than Rizza from Wu-Tang Clan. <laughs> I'm so much cooler than him because I stand here and all I've got are my words. And he just, he went on on this point for about five minutes to the point where everyone in the audience was like, wow, he either really hates Rizza or he really loves himself. <laughs> and uh, the next panel member got up and she was just like, I like Rizza. You know, it just became this thing about whether Rizza was any good or not. But um, yeah, at, when you kind of get down to it, though, I can think I can kind of hear in your answer that, and and this is sort of what Melinda was saying last week too. It's like there are differences. Like maybe there's a, we're a bit more relaxed around lyrics because we do have the backup of music, um, and maybe with poetry, sometimes we're less likely to just spew it all out onto the page and not worry so much but i think that it's pretty messy really like the the divide would would you oh, agree or absolutely and i think and as you said there are there were a people i'm sure that would whose whose process for um whose process for writing poems would be not dissimilar to the one i've just described for writing lyrics and you know and they would very much say that's poetry and mm. that's and they're a poet and not a lyricist in that sense so it is really weird though there are people i think that cross over you know i've got a book of john k sampson lyrics and there's no music attached to that but they kind of work as short stories on their own or you'll have i don't know if you know the nation blue terrifying awesome loud rock band and no, they amazing like from tassie originally uh, now in melbourne um i saw them maybe a month or two ago and that kind of you know pub rock crowd and they'll open a song and it's two minutes spoken word no no music no feedback no nothing wow and whether or not tom would then kind of you know refer to that you know, is that a poem on an album that's been snuck, or is it just a spoken word track? There's a, there's um, interesting stuff that comes into the reception of it as well. I think, which is kind of cool. You mean in terms of how the uh, audience responds to it? Yeah, and in in the kind of context, like if you you know if you got up at a at a poetry reading, if someone at Sporting Poets did a did a poem accompanying themselves on a guitar is that still a you know is that still a poem or when does it kind of cross over so i think in terms of the context we like it gets put onto people as well it's quite interesting mm. yeah that's right and and the people in the in the pub are they sort of shuffling nervously going <laughs> when yeah. is this poem gonna end <laughs> exactly yeah, yeah. Oh, that's super interesting that's yeah you're making me think of of your reading at Sporting Poets, which is just so much fun. And I was wondering if you could talk us through your reading of the poem uh, about Harold Holt. Uh, so uh, the poem about Harold Holt is about his disappearance um, on the beach and the kind of uh, competing explanations or narratives or conspiracy theories um and maybe i'd read it once or twice i'll i'll say in a in a normal performance or in a normal mode um and then uh for the initially for the launch of the pm's book i was trying to think of ways that i could uh increase the performative aspects of the of a reading or a performance and thought it could be good to read the Harold Holt one through a snorkel um so <laughs> that's been that's been my approach since then I think it was the the sporting poets was my 
second attempt at that, but the first with that snorkel, which proved to have some difficulties of its own. It was great. I think it was highly successful. <laughs> so how how important do you think performance is for poets who are primarily writing because they want to get published in journals and they want to get books out? Does it matter if you're someone who, say, never reads, never, never reads out loud? That's interesting. There's two. Oh, yeah. So... In terms of someone, I, mean, I don't know how qualified I am to even. <laughs> really, put on the spot with this. Um, I don't know. I don't have an answer, so you say whatever you want. <laughs> in terms of someone getting, you know, getting things published or getting into journals, I think there is something to be said. I think you know, performances or readings and that, that kind of thing is very much part of the poetry ecology. And not that it should be, and not that I think it is, I hope it's not, I'm sure there's instances maybe where it is, not that it should be kind of shaking hands or who you know or what you know or that kind of thing. Um, but, you know, if, 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 you're, if you've done a reading, there could be someone that, even if it's not a journal, even if it's just a zine or something they're putting together that goes, oh, I saw that person, you know, I've got they'd be perfect for this project I have in mind, or they'd be perfect for this thing I need a poem for to publish. So I guess it kind of uh, puts you on on the radar a bit more and not in a like horrible 80s business networking kind of way, but in a like, you know, it's a small supportive community. When people know you exist, they're going to have an opportunity to, you know, or have the opportunity to present more opportunities to you. If I hadn't done a reading at Sporting Poets, for instance, I wouldn't be fortunate enough to be speaking to you for this. So it's that that kind of thing. Yeah, yeah, that's right. And it's funny how I, I think um, uh, I share your kind of hesitation around the, like you say, the 1980s business side. Um, it's It's a tricky one because... Like I, and I don't really know why we're so hesitant about this side of the poetry world. I think something about poetry in particular makes us think that we should all be judged purely on our artistic merit. But the funny thing is, if you go into to the music world, I'm sure that you could tell me a million stories about like, oh, I was at this gig and then I managed to see this guy. And then he booked me for this tour, and oh, that's just how that works, right? Absolutely, and yeah. uh, it's it's. I was, I think it was with Toby actually. I was having this conversation. It was quite funny in terms of, um, I mean, I was talking before about needing to kind of start from scratch with poetry, but that that was more in terms of practice, I guess. But in terms of the trying to publish and stuff, you're so spot on with those kind of parallels and I think you can kind of look at it from this uh, more pessimistic greasing palms networking kind of way or you can look at it as you know if you surround yourself with good and honest people that want to contribute to a community that's that's going to come back and it's yeah. not like a, it's not like a kind of oh I'm you know just doing this because I'm trying to get but if you're just uh, with that expectation you know a part of and a part of and a contributor to that community it comes back so like the music thing I was thinking you know you start a band and then you go and record a demo in one of your garages and it sounds a bit crap but you put the demo on the internet for free and a bunch of people hear that and then you get invited to play a show and then you play a few more shows and then someone says oh our mate's studying engineering she'll record you because she needs to do a project and then you've got something better for an ep and then you start getting asked to be on some compilation tracks and then once you've done a few eps Someone comes along and goes, oh, you've made an album. We want to help you. We want to support you. Mm. We'll put it out on our label. And then poetry, you kind of do all your poems and maybe you, you know, you do a, a reading at an open mic and then you get a few more. And instead of getting on a compilation, you maybe get in a, you know, a journal or an anthology and then 
you get a couple of poems together and it's a zane or a chapbook and that's your demo or your ep and then you get a collection and it's your album and it's that same you know people uh if you're if you're kind of trying and contributing people want to do people want to help yeah and i think i think again it's a continuum right so i'm sure there are people who are so talented that they don't ever have to meet anyone they just send their stuff in and the journal editor goes oh my god it's the next elliot and then i think there are also people who show up to everything and they're meeting everyone but then they go to send stuff out and maybe they just haven't written enough to get it over the line and so they're they're still facing rejection but i reckon there's the, a huge middle ground of people who yeah it's like i mean if you don't go out and meet people you don't even necessarily know what the opportunities are because it's not all necessarily written down on the internet yeah um, that's it as well yeah. you know you don't even if it's and again i think it kind of like it can come back to whether you whether you take that maybe more cynical or more optimistic view about it but i think that can kind of be said of any community creative or otherwise but it is if you're not if you're not there you're not going to know you know oh submissions are open for this or we're looking for readers for this or yeah we want someone to man the the books like the bookstore on this event and say oh all these opportunities that you wouldn't know about unless you're kind of participating and yeah people could take it as this oh then you're networking or you're trying to climb a ladder or whatever it is or it's just kind of i enjoy poetry if you can surround yourself with it and be a part of it Mm. you know it's not necessarily this um aspirational or kind of climbing thing like that yeah i mean you could be there as, as a networking climbing person um, but I don't know that you would necessarily stay for very long because I don't think the rewards are that great. <laughs> the wine is not that good. Like, I'm sorry, but it's not very good. Uh, yeah, that's very <laughs> it true. It comes in tiny cups. Um, yeah. Uh, now, I wanted to ask you about something completely different here. I, in, I, whenever I get a new book, I go straight to the acknowledgements because that's the most personal part, I feel like, even that's probably not true, but I just skip straight to the acknowledgements. I'm looking here at PMs, and in your acknowledgements, you, um, I think it's in here, you talk about the inspiration for the book. Um, yeah, the, the idea for this collection came to me on a train somewhere between Sunda and Osaka in early March 2016. Um, so what were you doing in Japan? Um, I... When I was much younger, maybe 10, or when I was, I guess, eight initially, my mum, who knows apps, well, I guess she knows a bit about rugby now. I've got a lot of siblings, and um, the rugby club we were playing for set up an exchange with a, a rugby club in Sander City in Japan. Oh, cool. And um, somehow my mum ended up being the the tour manager. So she was kind of, you know, doing the itineraries and all the rest so one year we'd go maybe um 40 40 kids and a couple of parents would go for two weeks to japan and do homestay with the sander rugby club and then you know alternating years they'd come stay with us so oh, through that cool. oh it was it's amazing like life life-changing experience really phenomenal and i kind of you know have a a half brother as a result of it through one of the families we kept staying with um you know when he wanted when he turned 17 was going to study in australia he came and lived with us my brother lived with a family there for six months during school and stuff as well so i went over with um my then partner now fiance after the japan trip to have a holiday with her last year and kind of uh catch up with some family friends and family over there right and so from that moment on the train, um, you get back to Australia and the idea is still, does it still seem appealing? Uh, it does. I had it, so I kind of wrote it in, I was I had a notebook that I was just using to um, 
jot down stuff when we're when we're there you know just kind of like travel notes and all the rest um and i'd i'd written in it you know this just pretty much the title and the pun but by uh i didn't know if it had legs yet and then yeah i, I came back um and was thrown into well not thrown into i came back and started teaching for the first time and i'd booked the holiday before before I'd got the job, so I kind of came back into week three of semester for the first time I'd ever been teaching for a whole semester and was at panic stations for the next nine weeks. And then uh, finally had a chance to kind of see if it had, if the idea had legs. And I'm trying to think now what the... Oh, maybe I can. So the first one, I the very first one was John Howard. Right. And I think once I did that, I realised it was a plausible concept. But then, right? Because I'm I'm super interested in this because I feel like when I look at this book, I think there must have been points in this project where Dave was like, you know what, I can't do another prime minister. I'm over it. It's too hard. <laughs> and I'm interested in, in um, faith as it applies to an artistic project. And I feel like maybe through Ooh. music, you kind of get that ability. You learn to like stick with an idea, stick with this song, keep playing it through, keep showing it to people, um, even though it's hard, even though it feels like it's going to fall apart. But obviously I'm projecting a lot there. Maybe it was fully smooth sailing. <laughs> Um, it, it was not smooth sailing at all. And I, um, I would, I would, uh, not give myself that much credit in terms of, uh, perseverance or patience with music. <laughs> oh, fair enough. <laughs> Particularly with my, uh, like with my own stuff, I guess when there's other people that it, so it's kind of like, well, we can't drop it now, you know, everyone's invested or we all want to make this work. Then, you know, you've kind of got other people pushing you, but I'm much quicker, I would say, to drop something or give up on something with music than poems. Yeah, right. I, th- I think going back to something you or we were kind of talking about earlier, though, you know, it was not smooth sailing, but again, the fact that there was a clear goal in mind made it somewhat easier to push through. So both in terms of the individual poems some are much harder than some are much harder than others and kind of thinking of the key or the pivot whether it would be a form or the kind of the theme or topic of that poem sometimes took ages but the fact that you know we had well <laughs> not quite finite given Australian politics but <laughs> to a finite number of poems waiting to be you know the the collection could only be this long and every single one that, as hard as they kind of were, once it was done, you know, it meant, okay, there's only this many to go. And then whether it's a pile of shit or it's something, I will have done all of them. You know, the fact that those, there was a set number of poems and to a certain degree, the, the themes were already set, made it much easier to keep going through difficult moments of that. And... I guess kind of much harder as well to kind of give up because I'm like, ah, you know, you've, you had a hard PM a week ago. You found it eventually. There's only, you know, it's not like you can do the collection skipping two prime ministers. (laughs) It's just this, yeah, redacted. This one's way too tricky. And Um, you kind of find ways around that, which I did as well. And I think that's part of the fun, but because, yeah, because it was there, and almost set just waiting to be written in that way. I was like, it made it very difficult to even entertain the notion of not not completing it, yeah. regardless of how shit the final product was, at least trying to get it, you know, get a poem for every prime minister. Yeah, yeah, you've got to get to the end. Yeah. It's, and it's the other thing about it, or one of the other things about it that really interests me is that while it is a book about each of Australia's prime ministers, it is much more funny than it is political, um, I would say anyway. That's my reading of it. Do you think of yourself as a political person? Was the political content of the project something that 
kept you interested or was it more just the the actual constraint and working with that once i once i kind of found out that it had legs and you know starting with pms from my own lifetime so howard was the earliest i could remember um so i started with him and then played around with others that i could kind of remember then went to others that i knew and this is you know still the first handful but others that i knew from you know weren't serving when i was was i was when i was alive but i have some level of notoriety even if you're not that into politics right so like the hawk one or harold holt for instance yeah then um you know again seeing it kind of had legs i saw it as a really nice opportunity to try and be better informed you know i'm gonna have to do this research there are worse things i could research in terms of being a better informed citizen i suppose Mm. so it was a kind of way of taking something that maybe i'm not that into in terms of politics and creating a framework in which it would be interesting for me to look at it yeah right so it's actually the research side of it that was sustaining as well yeah yeah I, i mean the challenge absolutely because then I couldn't, uh, you know, as I, as I said, I felt like I had to, regardless of quality, at least get it finished. Yeah. But I saw it as, um, because of the research it necessitated, I saw it as a good opportunity or a good kind of excuse to try and learn more and be better informed myself. Mm. And, I mean, to some degree, I think that worked. And to others, I think I just maybe plucked out of these rather complex political and personal histories um the like small snapshots that appealed already or would would have appealed already to my kind of tastes oh look i think i think that's that's like you know there's nothing wrong with that because as a reader i'm not going to have very much uh familiarity with yeah i mean probably like 80 70 80 percent of these guys so yeah I appreciate that. And it gives a kind of hopefully in the same way that that was the kind of in for me, it gives an in to maybe learn a bit more. Like you're not going to learn, you know, you're not going to learn too much about Barton from seeing a cricket score sheet, but the fact that he was umpiring that game, you could go, oh, really? That's weird. And then I'll follow that up a little bit more. Um, Yeah. Yeah, it made me want to go and do that same research for sure. Maybe on like a less poem-specific instance or looking at it kind of as the the conceit as a whole rather than uh, individual poems. I hadn't given too much thought to this um, and I can't articulate it as well or succinctly uh, as Alison did, but Alison Whitaker did a really, really lovely write-up of it kind of talking about um and again i can't i won't be able to do it as eloquently but it i was like oh maybe feel warm fuzzies um the kind of inherent political act of taking you know taking these names and mm. playing with them whether, yeah whether whether it is for good for bad but if, you know that is a kind of that is a political act and it is something that uh challenges and confronts that power as well and so as much as it is um or as much as a lot of them are funny um and it is playful there is i guess you know that that essence to it as well yeah you're playing with something you're not necessarily meant to play with so yeah 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 that makes perfect sense um, you mentioned Alison, and I know in our email exchange we were talking about a couple of other poets that are interesting and inspiring to you. Can you, do any names pop into your head when you think back to that point um, post the high school English curriculum when you thought actually this poetry thing might be something I want to follow up on? I can't maybe remember a specific moment and uh, there was i'm sh- sure part of it was reading a lit journal or a uni student publication 
that I'd understandably not managed to get into. And with, <laughs> <laughs> and with some jealousy, reading a poem or something, you're going, that's not, that's, that's just a song without, oh, I couldn't, I'll just use all these lyrics. I don't, I'll put some line breaks in. And doing that and kind of failing. And then at that time, not putting in the effort, but at that moment looking to someone that kind of still stands out in memory was um, Pasha Mala, uh, mm. who's Canadian. And I think at the time he'd come out um, maybe for a Sydney Writers Festival. Um, and his, his poetry was uh, quite quite funny still st- still still moving still really beautiful he had this one uh long poem about fathers that kind of just seemed like a um a parody of one of those documentaries you know where you film all these people and then seven years later you catch up and then 14 years later and then 21 mm-hmm. yeah and he said and he kind of parodied that documentary so it was really beautiful and he yeah was quite playful and funny and I'd kind of been taking myself too seriously, not even writing poems, but repurposing, you know, just thoughts I'd put down or failed songs or whatever. And then I thought, oh, that can be kind of funny. Um, And then around the time I'd started getting uh, more interested in in Inulipo and going beyond just the kind of novels or some of their kind of more introductory texts into uh into some of the poems as well and that's when i really oh constraint is a thing and you can be funny and it can still be serious you can be playful and you can still be serious and of course if you're trying to write a poem about your feelings you're going to have a very hard time separating yourself from that and saying whether it's good or bad but if you're going to write a poem that has to have two letters, then six letters, then a colour, then this, you can kind of, you know, objectively tick that off. And that kind of unlocks things for me. Yeah, right. I think that's a pretty common thread, actually. People, I love your description of reading the journal, the uni journal that you didn't get into and then going, oh, I could do this and then just kind of hacking something together because I think we've all done that. And then we've probably all had those experiences of finding that one poet um, who just had that bit of extra levity and through that you kind of get this permission to just, yeah, be a bit more playful and enjoy it and it's less this kind of thing that you have to prove and like I have to get into this journal and everyone's really serious about it and, um, yeah, it becomes less less work and more fun maybe. Yeah, apps and that was after, I mean, there was this kind of, you know, sending and rejecting to uh, like just pretty much uni publications. Oh, this is terrible stuff. And then pretty much nothing for about three years. I was writing heaps, but it was all just at home and kind of for uni assignments or, you know, thesis or research. But I just uh, didn't try and rush into things or jump into it like that. And it was just for me and for fun and tremendous and because it was that like, oh, you can just, you don't have to write this thing that makes you feel upset or whatever. Like what's <laughs> yeah. there or, you know, into, or makes you feel like, you know, jealousy or whatever. It's like you yeah, don't like you don't write have to the do types that. of poems you don't want to write. Yeah, because that's like writing is an act of comparison. Yeah. And it doesn't, it doesn't like, it doesn't make sense and it, therefore does make sense that you're going to kind of come up against all kind of barriers in that process that aren't even productive ones that aren't you know something that you are going to gain from or learn from by overcoming that they're just preventative which yeah one so getting getting around that was a huge thing that's such a Um, great way to put it yeah barriers that are just just holding you back they're not actually protecting you from anything and it make like it's good to you know you're going to come across hurdles or you should you know it's nice to otherwise you get you get bored and you lose the fun again so it's good to challenge yourself but it, it, it should be those it should be the challenges that you want to take and the challenges that you know once you 
once you've faced that, whether or not you've overcome it or whatever else, you've you've gained something from that that's going to be helpful or informative f- for your practice. There's no point throwing yourself up against this wall that you don't even want to be on the other side of. If, if that makes sense. Yeah, that is that's such a perfect way to put it. That's so great. But it took ages to realize that. Yeah. No, it does. It does because um, it's often a really a one-way conversation. I mean, that's why in my own tiny way I'm really passionate about having these chats because my hope is that, you know, that thing that you just said will go to somebody living in Toowoomba or, you know, something who's reading The Lifted Brow and Overland and feeling really left out and sad and like they have to write like that to be part of Australian literary scene, you know, and so yeah. that they'll hear this and know that there's permission to just do whatever you want because there just is like there are no poetry police. You just and you've got to be having fun because God knows you're not going to make money from it. And you know, <laughs> <it's> so, <laughs> and, and also like, it, you know, money stuff aside, like you wouldn't feel as satisfied with something you put together for the sake of. Um, that that imitated somebody else and wasn't you. And I mean, if that's the experiment, I'm. I've just I've just read this like uh, a really cool recap in subtly about Gwen Harwood and um, that kind of stuff. Like, if your experiment is to kind of do a parody or to write in the style of x or y or this poet or this kind of journal style by all means that that can be a really useful kind of exercise but if you're kind of not allowing yourself to work out what you actually should be doing as well or what you you would like to be doing then it's kind of like you've yeah you've limited yourself yeah yeah like i think there's something to be said for the like it can be fun and a useful kind of exercise to do that work out why is it that I don't don't like this or that it doesn't appeal to me or why is it that I think this, you know, this would be so easy to write? When you try and then, when you experiment with that, it can be really useful. But when you're kind of doing that at the cost of, exclusively at the cost of working out what you'd actually like to be doing, um, then, then it's kind of dangerous. Definitely, yeah. So before I let you go, I want to circle back around to what you mentioned at the start, which was that you're doing some work on a new project. Yes. Are you happy to <laughs> chat about that? <laughs> you don't uh, have to. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm trying. I'm like, um, so I am. I picked up. I wonder if I. I picked up uh, this old. maybe in the 70s chapbook i can't remember who did it um but it was put out by a burning deck and essentially the kind of conceit was uh this bloke writing poems using zip codes so he did maybe every state in the u.s and you know you'd find a, a zip code region and he was just using that as his kind of glossary or as the as the lexicon for these poems and the concept and the conceit, I think, is really cool. Um, I don't think he did a very good job with it. Oh, well, that's <laughs> handy. <laughs> yeah. That means you can do um, a better job. Hopefully. Yeah. Uh, so I'm trying to do that. I'm trying to do a similar thing uh, with Australia. So um, only using uh, postcode names um, and doing writing poems only using postcode names um, and doing it so there'll be a kind of suite for each state. And then I'm also trying to play around with the idea at the moment of kind of mixing in some cartographic elements. Mm. So whether that would just be like where you have um, border states, so you could have, you know, like... Uh, a two-tiered poem that kind of reads like New South Wales over Victoria. So unlike the rest of the suites where you'd only have words from that particular state or territory where you'd kind of mark in some way the border on the page 
and had these poems that maybe exist as their own states, but then also, or can be read as a new poem entirely once you kind of read across the borders or along particular axes. So, yeah, trying to work in some kind of um, maps and cartographic elements as well. But at this stage, I'm just on the kind of um, working through the initial suites. So just trying to do like each state and get the individual poems from that first. I love that. I love that so much because we're so attached to our postcodes, like our suburbs. Australia is so defined by it's like, oh, you live in, you live in this <laughs> suburb, not that suburb. And like my, uh, the postcode for my suburb that I grew up in, like those numbers are really important to me. And then when we moved here in Melbourne from, you know, the, the slightly closer to the city postcode to the slightly further away postcode, that was a significant thing as well. So yeah, I just, I love the way that speaks to our whole like obsession with like these, these fun, like totally arbitrary divisions between place that are like, yeah, like you say, they're cartographically decided. It's just like somebody laid the country out and drew lines around places that don't necessarily mean anything, but they become meaningful. Yeah. And in, in that similar kind of, um, in a similar way to the PMs one in terms of, uh, playing around with things that you maybe shouldn't play around with. So I think that'll come in in the more cartographic stage of it as well, but like moving, moving these names as a way of highlighting the kind of arbitrary application in the first place. Yeah. Totally. Um, and that kind of hopefully in that way to finding a way through the collection to look at, that kind of idea of claiming land or claiming place too. Mm. And also it's interesting you mentioned, mentioned postcodes properly because I do want to, um, I'm hoping, I'm not sure whether, I'm not sure whether this is going to play out, but I'm hoping there will be some really nice surprises mathematically. So somehow if you take the sum of, the digits for a postcode in, you know, New South Wales and Perth, you'll get an answer, which is a really interesting place in Tasmania. So if you just look at the numerals, like if you just kind of doing equations with the numerals alone, it'll give you some really interesting kind of like uh, linguistic equations as a result. So like, you know, Linfield plus whatever equals Black Wattle Creek. Yeah. That's really cool. That's such a cool idea. But yeah, like you say, it's, it's for some reason, these uh, divisions are, yeah, they're kind of like, you can't mix up, I'm trying to think of an, an example, that's like Sydney specific example. Uh, so like Potts Point and Parramatta. It's like those two places are so, so, so separate. There's separate economically, socially, geographically as well. Um, they have these like totally individual connotations and you're not allowed to mix them. You can't. Like, <laughs> and, you, and, you can, and you can't put Potts Point in the middle of, you know, in the middle of Australia, far from Harbour Views and away from everything. It's, yeah. it's where it is for a reason and it's what it is because of where it is. So kind of moving those, you know, taking the name of something and putting it, uh, changing its position on a map to maybe reflect more accurately its position in our culture or our kind of psyche, I think will be really fun to play around with yeah. in terms of, um, you know, that mix, like uh, playing with the, the visual hierarchy of the kind of place names. Yeah, for sure. That's really, really cool. Oh, thank you for talking about that. I know it's tricky to talk about something right at the very beginning, so I it, it's, uh, that. It's helpful as well to try and, because otherwise, as you say, I'm otherwise kind of sitting here going, does that make sense? No, probably not. So articula or attempting to articulate it to someone other than myself and the window and the plant is, uh, is helpful. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that window does a lot of listening sometimes, doesn't it? Yeah, or, or neighbours. <laughs> neighbours, yeah. 
That's awesome. Um, is there anything else you'd like to add before we sign off? Uh, oh, um, I guess just in, in reference to Amelia that came up before, I had kind of had that in mind because you'd been asking about uh, the performance aspect of things. I was going to say, I guess I went further back with those other kind of um, poets, but in terms of performing, um, seeing Amelia was a real significant shift and inspiration as well because in coming from the music thing um before poetry i had felt not always but definitely with my own contributions like why i guess going back to what you said as well before what why am i here when it's kind of on the page what what is my presence doing and i didn't feel like it was maybe doing enough um and then seeing how Amelia, for example, in particular, uh, makes use of performance as its own kind of poetic act was really interesting and made me want to buy a snorkel, amongst other things. I was going to say, yeah, was that the the um, point at which you thought, you know what, I could use a snorkel. No yeah, one's going to stop I, me. It, it, yeah. A mix of that and then seeing, you know, watching AJ yell at people or watching Michael Farrell kind of walk around with a finger mohawk on his head and these things like, oh, I can, and not only I can, but I probably should do something that either complicates or um, communicates with or kind of changes the poem in some way otherwise there's no point in taking it off the page that's really interesting yeah for me it was seeing uh anya walwitz uh do a poem i think it's called mr starfish or at least the refrain is mr starfish and she was standing in readings on ligon street just like spitting into this microphone going mr starfish and i was just like this woman is incredible and there's no reason to like i don't have to stand here kind of apologetic like essentially apologizing for my presence and my poem like i can take up lots and lots and lots of space and i should because people are here to listen and they don't want you to just kind of mumble and get off um i just got yeah. goosebumps with you recounting that <laughs> like oh, just from listening to the recount of that refrain i've gone oh my hair's on it <laughs> Did, have you seen her read that poem no i haven't but oh. even just hearing that i'm like Damn. yeah wow <laughs> it, yeah i uh i have to find it i know i've read it as well and it does have power on the page too but yeah i i like what you're saying and uh, aj i've seen aj carruthers read as well and and that was another kind of moment of yeah, I really want to lift my game. <laughs> and, yeah, he, I mean, both in terms, I guess, him on the page as well, but his performances in particular made that, um, I mean, oh, it's something, it's difficult to do maybe, but that non-apologetic, very much, this is what I am saying poetry is and what a poet does or can do, and you kind of, you don't have to kind of like it, but you have to accept or acknowledge that this is poetry and or what I'd say poetry is. And he's very kind of um, forthright in that presentation, which is so gripping and so engaging because even if you kind of go, is it or you you don't agree or it's a new kind of idea to you, it's it kind of not impossible to argue, but near impossible to ignore yeah i would agree completely and yeah like you say you you absolutely can walk away from that reading going well that that didn't move me at all and i would much rather hear about the tree in the backyard thank you <laughs> <laughs> but it is that i like tree like look i'm a big fan of tree in the backyard poems everyone i want you to know that there's a tree i think a tree poem i think by david brooks that i still think about today and i cannot find it and i'm so upset about that so don't think for a minute that i don't like tree in the backyard poems 
<laughs> I, I also love tree tree poems as well. I yeah. Know, yeah. But I, I get what you mean with the um, our example. Yeah. Uh, yeah, that's funny. Um, I'm glad we got to talk about AJ. But yeah, they they were the they were the ones that came to mind for me in terms of that performance and um, how how it can be. And you can read a tree in the backyard poem in a way that's um, responding to the demands of the poem as well off the kind of page. You know, it doesn't, you don't have to be reading a particular kind of poem in these performative ways, I don't think either. It's like about kind of finding a way of performing that responds to what kind of reinforces the ideas that are in the poem too. So with Amelia, you know, with the, I saw a, doing a launch or a reading uh, at Avant Gaga um, at Sappho's shortly after Constitution came out and she wasn't reading at all but playing this kind of uh, manipulated recording of Turnbull and miming along to it through a microphone in a sense while eating uh, an Australian flag it was just phenomenal it's and it's 10 minutes and she's kind of perfectly in time miming along with these stuttered kind of fractured speech fragments of turnbull and in between statements just nibbling away at this australian flag she'd printed out and was kind of slowly eating but in terms of you know so she's not actually kind of reading uh reading anything there in terms of announcing it or vocalizing it but in terms of the way it kind of responds to the ideas in the book it's phenomenal and if it's you know the tree in the backyard and the cubby house from childhood or acorn you know find the find the highest thing in the venue and climb that and give a sense of the branches or whatever it might be try, yeah trying to find that way to blur the boundary a bit more between the page and whatever the situation is that it like the poems then being brought into 